You're listening to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Rydell. We're hanging out here today because one day while hiking in Peru, after just having been let go from my dream job, it hit me. There's so much more to life and there's no excuse for not embracing uncertainty and trying new things to really explore our full potential in this lifetime. On this weekly podcast, you'll hear from successful entrepreneurs, creative thinkers, and visionaries just like you so that you feel less alone as you pursue everything you want and deserve in this lifetime. This is a space where big sky thinking is welcomed and conversations about daily betterment are essential. So if you're ready to stop living an ordinary life and start living a visionary life, then welcome home. Hey, visionaries, welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited about today's episode, but before we dive in, if I sound a little fatigued just for this intro, not for the podcast recording, it's because today I finished my very first bike race of the season. It was called the Paris to Ancaster. It was gravel roads, it was mud shoots, it was grueling, rocky climbs. So it was a little bit of everything, but so much fun. And I just adore the challenge of doing something that puts me kind of out of my comfort zone, you know? So I'll definitely be signing up for a few more races and would love to hear about your summer goals. But that's not what we're chatting about today. Today, we're actually chatting about human resources. Yes, it's time for you and me to have a meeting with our HR expert, Amanda. (laughs) But don't worry, this is going to be a fun meeting. So uh, in all seriousness, today's guest is Amanda Hudson, and she's been working in HR for over 20 years. Amanda actually started her own company, which is why I wanted to interview her on the podcast, and it's called A Modern Way to Work which is the antidote to traditional HR practices. So cool, right? Like she's taken something that traditionally people see as boring, not that fun, not that interesting. And she created a company that flipped that on its head. And in this episode, we're going to talk about why she left the traditional HR professional track in pursuit of building her own business. I think this is going to be specifically relevant to any of you who are feeling Like you've come to an end in your corporate career and you'll learn a lot from Amanda about what it took to actually step away from the paved path and build your own thing. So I know you guys will love that. We talk about why it's not essential to find your niche right away, contrary to popular belief. She shares the one question that she asks to everybody on an airplane. This one's intriguing. (laughs) Um, And she also shares the interesting ways in which she hired team members. I was very inspired by the way Amanda hires at her company. So I definitely loved this episode for so many reasons, but one of the reasons is that it brought me back to my own roots because I actually studied human resources in my undergraduate degree, and I envisioned becoming an HR professional back in the day, but just couldn't quite imagine myself on that track, and I feel like I would have loved to work for Amanda's company, um, you know, 15 years ago. So Anyways, without further ado, I think we should dive into this episode with Amanda Hudson. If you want to learn more about her company, go to www.amodernwaytowork.com. You can find all the social channels from there. 
And if you love this episode, be sure to snap a screenshot, tag me, tag a modern way to work. We love seeing where you're tuning in from. So let's do the show and I will catch you guys next week. Amanda, welcome to the Visionary Life Podcast. I was connected to you my absolute favorite way, which is through a referral. So someone we both mutually know connected us, and it's always so wonderful to be able to record a first conversation with somebody. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So I kind of want to rewind your journey a little bit. You spent 10 years, I believe, teaching human resources to students at college. Did I get that right? And was that uh, like a decade of your life? Yeah, that was a part of the journey for sure. I have, I often will say like I had layers to my career um, that were happening all at the same time. So there was the traditional HR track working in and with organizations on bettering their HR practices. I started teaching part-time very shortly after I actually graduated from college. I did have an almost 10-year career before I say I retired. Um, So I taught at college and university and then also managed the School of Business up at Seneca for a while. Um, And that did take up a large large chunk of time. Um, And then I found... Well, I thought the students were getting worse, which probably meant I, my patience was wearing. So I decided to retire before I became, you know, a grumpy professor. Um, and then there's sort of like this third track of um, advising for tech companies and working with some startups. Mm, I love that. So throughout that time, did you feel like you had the entrepreneurial bug kind of like boiling up? And were you thinking, how do I leave this more traditional track of teaching in pursuit of my own business? When did that entrepreneurial spark really start? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think more than calling it an entrepreneurial spark, I would call it like maybe a fierce independence um, where I just like wanted to do things my own way um, and always have been someone who's questioned the way things have been done. And so that generally makes you a really bad employee. Uh, And when I moved to Toronto, my intention was to, you know, launch into full-time consulting. And my last real job was as the associate chair for the School of Business at Seneca. And that happened accidentally. So I come to Toronto, I'm expecting to launch, you know, my consulting business. I go and do a presentation for the deans of all the schools of business across Ontario. And one of them asked me to interview for that job. And so I did, I got it, I took it. So it kind of deviated me a little bit off that entrepreneurial journey. Mm-hmm. Worked, worked there for about a year and a half. Uh, really proud of some of the massive change transformation projects I did there. And then I just felt like it was time to really go do what I actually wanted to do. So like, yeah, it could, you could call it entrepreneurial bug, um, but I think it's more been inspired by wanting to do things my own way or having a perspective potentially on HR I didn't see really represented mm-hmm. and thought, okay, well, if other people aren't going to go do it, I'll go out and do it myself. 
I love that. And it's so nice to hear like your journey wasn't just linear. Like I just, I just knew what business I wanted to create. Like it takes time. And sometimes, you know, you do have to go work other jobs to really marinate in like, what do I want to do? And what is my unique viewpoint? Like I had a similar journey. I would sit in these marketing meetings, working for more corporate companies, and I would share these ideas that I thought were really good. And they'd be like, no, that's never going to work. And I'm like, I know it's going to work, but I would just sit there and bite my tongue. And eventually I worked up that courage to say, okay, well, if nobody else is kind of teaching this version of marketing, same as what you had, maybe I can do it. And I think you said like you finally knew it was time to kind of step out. What? It's such a hard thing to unpack, but like, how did you know it was time? Like, what was that inner feeling or what were some of those validating thoughts that you were like, I can do this. Now's the time to quit and make the leap. Yeah, that's a great question. I want to say one other quick thing that referenced what you were just chatting about, though. I think you get a lot of pressure, especially when you start to like find your niche. And maybe you, I'm curious if you felt this when you kind of launched out on your own. People are like, what are you doing? What is your niche? And back to your nonlinear comment, which made me think of that, there wasn't one thing. I think um, you start taking the contracts that come to you and saying kind of yes to everything. And it's taken eight years to really, you know, solidify that. But um, I'll answer I'll answer the question you did ask me. How did I know? Um, there, I, I, tra- I traveled a lot, obviously, pre pre 2020. Yeah. Um, and I, I am a futuristic thinker. And I think a lot about, you know, my legacy and what I want to do when I was on an airplane. And I was like, Oh, if this airplane crashed, uh, would I be happy with how I'm living my life right now? And, and that role at Seneca didn't feel like the most fulfilling in that moment. I worked with the most incredible faculty there ever. Um, and I think that's what made it hard to leave. And I, and they were obviously quite a bit older than me. Um, many of them, you know, later in their career, sort of tenured, tenured faculty. And when I made the choice to leave, they were all like, great, go. Like there's so much out, out in the world. So it was a nice reassurance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was just like a check-in, like, am I happy? Am I doing what I want to be doing? And there was just that little no inside me. And so mm-hmm. that really... That really was the push. And I was fortunate, like I had some part-time teaching contracts and a little bit of consulting work on the side. And I took the leap and over the last eight years have really just grown and developed the business to where it is today. Mm-hmm. I love that question that you share, uh, the thing that you think of when you're on a plane. If I crashed, <laughs> would I be happy with how I've been living my life? Like it is kind of like an existential moment to answer that question because if the answer is no I would not be happy with the way I've been living or honoring that gut feeling like that's a bit of a wake-up call and I think you know and I hear from so many of our listeners that they do feel like they're at this point of stagnancy and they're unhappy and they feel too young to be at this point where life is just mediocre but it's also really challenging to imagine breaking out of their current routine and doing something different. Do you have any tips for somebody who is feeling that way, maybe like you were feeling, um, in how to successfully, um, you know, pivot or make a shift in their life? 
Yeah, that's a, I mean, it's so easy to say when you've done it. So I do really honor people when they want to do something different and they feel a bit stuck. I'm a, a friend gave me advice a while ago in the startup space about like, what's the smallest experiment you can do or the smallest test you can run around the idea or the product or the thing that you want to do in the world. And I think you can take that even into your own entrepreneurial journey. So I think it gets portrayed a lot. um, And I'm sure that you see this a lot where it's like, it's one or the other. Like you have to have this really dramatic, like quitting of your job and starting your own business and, you know, announcing it to your friends and family via social. And I actually think it can be a lot smaller and a lot more subtle than that. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if you're a marketing person, you can go out and, 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 you know, help a couple small businesses with marketing. It doesn't, you don't even have to get paid initially, you know, to just what's the smallest viable test you can run. And I I actually think that rather than, you know, tips around some, you know, follow your heart and quit your job and, you know, pretend you don't have bills to pay. It's like, what's the smallest step you could possibly take in the direction of where you want to go? And then I think that small step leads to another and to another and to another. And before you know it, you'll look up and your life will be different. Mm -hmm. It's such a a good perspective because I think oftentimes people think they need to like sever one life and then just like launch into this entrepreneurial journey. But it's like maybe you can mitigate a lot of that risk and not put so much financial strain on yourself and test the concept first, like maybe get your first client and put up like a, a little shell of a website and see, are people interested in what I have to share, right? So it sounds like that's kind of how you got your company, A Modern Way to Work, started. So why don't you tell us a little bit about A Modern Way to Work, and uh, then we'll dive into more of the nitty-gritty on where you guys are at today. Yeah. So A Modern Way to Work, the best way to to describe it is an HR and people management consultancy. So we work predominantly with small and medium businesses Sometimes teams at larger businesses, um, but really, I think doing HR in a way that most people aren't doing, um, which, you know, begs the question, what is that? What is that? What does that mean? (laughs) Tell us. (laughs) Um, So we, some of our core fundamental beliefs is that HR is only as good or as useless as the people managers within an organization. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure in your you know, past life working for others in marketing, you've probably had some excellent bosses and you've, I'm assuming had some not so great. 100%. Yes. Very okay. relatable. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to name them? No, I'm kidding. Um, nope. <laughs> yeah. They know who they are. Um, and so, you know, our belief is HR is only as good or as bad as those people managers. So when we work with clients, we really focus on the people leadership team and the senior leaders. And we've built leadership training that we run monthly to to really teach managers the skills that they need to lead and manage teams from a very practical, tangible perspective. We also then go in and build the systems and structures that support them to do their jobs well. And, you know, as an example, I don't want to jinx it, but we haven't been asked to write a policy by a client for a very long time. So I think there's a lot of HR consulting firms you know, it's very lucrative to like go in, write policies, do that kind of work. I think where where we see that modern HR and business savvy meet, it's 
you're living in the trenches with those people managers and teaching them how to get the most out of their teams. Mm -hmm. And that's where we really, I think, come in and help organizations transform how they operate. And then we get out. We don't want them to be dependent on us. So Mm. I believe that if HR actually aren't needed at all. And so you're, you set everything up and then you can, you can exit because the people managers know what they're doing. They've got the right systems and structures to support the, the behaviors that lead to engagement Mm -hmm. and you can move on to the next thing. Mm. So what were some of the very first things you did? Like when you decided I am going to launch a modern way to work, what were some of those first foundational things that you spent time on in order to bring this new business idea to life? Do you remember what some of those first steps were? Yeah, good question. It wasn't even called a modern way to work back then. I'm a, I'm terrible at naming things. Arguably a modern way to work if you think about it, like logo and branding wise, when we work with designers, it's probably not um, the world's best name. It's quite long. So like Kelsey, I feel like you'd probably, you know, if I had been smarter, I would have worked with someone on that at the start, like yourself. Um, I think for me, I'm a big, you know, who do I know? What's my network? Who can I meet? So my real first steps were to connect in with people I already knew who were looking for some HR support. Um, I was fortunate enough through a couple other jobs that I had had and through my MBA to make some consulting connections um, and to do projects with friends just because we found them fascinating for some nonprofits. So to be honest, most of our clients when we started were in the nonprofit space. And a lot of nonprofits in Canada have uh, fewer than 10 employees. And so they don't have dedicated HR resources and they were reaching out and needing some help. So we just said yes to whatever whatever people needed help with, to be honest. This episode is sponsored by the What's Your Earning Potential free quiz. If you've been thinking about starting a business but aren't sure whether you have the gusto to exceed your current salary, this quiz was made for you. Find out what your earning potential is at www.kelseyridle.com slash earning potential. Yeah. And it's funny because so many of the clients that I work with, they think that in launching a predominantly online business, service-based business, that all of a sudden they can just like put their services out there and they're going to reach people across the globe. And this like influx of clients from like Australia and Europe and, you know, North America are going to come in. But oftentimes it is tapping into your initial connections first friends, family, past jobs that you've had who might benefit from you as a consultant, um, you know, connections you might have in your hometown or whatever it is. It's like you can't really just like skip to like 10 degrees of separation. You have to focus on who do you already know who could benefit from your services. And I always think of like connecting with people from the past, from the present, and then future, where do I want to go? So it sounds like you were able to do that probably as a way to validate like, okay, people do actually need these HR services. I've got a few projects under my belt, and now we can start to promote to more and more people. Yeah, you nailed it. Um, I wish you could do that. You know, I heard somewhere recently, it's like it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, wait, great. We're at year eight, like only a couple more years. Um, 
and will will be that overnight success that I think everyone <laughs> aims for when they do a launch like that. Yeah. And today you work with clients like Nike, Chapters Indigo, Province Apothecary, The Ten Spot, Enthusiast Gaming. I'm sure people hear that list and they're like, I would die to have clients like that. Like just more high profile, sexy brand names that you've worked with. So that begs the question, how did you get in touch with some of these more established brands who have that credibility that lends to a modern way to work? So can you like share the journey of how you were able to connect with some of those bigger brands? Yeah, I think we try really hard on our website. You know, we do work with like a team at Nike, a team at Indigo. And I think, you know, it's, I don't know, I always want to be like really accurately represent um, mm-hmm. what we do. So yes, those, those names are definitely in our, in our roster. You know, we work with Julie and Nat at province, like, um, and it, it has been through micro step, you know, and micro step. And I think I, I feel really fortunate that we've knock on wood to date, not really done a lot of marketing, to be honest, we've just started thinking a bit more about Mm-hmm. How do we intelligently get our message out in front of more people? Mm-hmm. But for the last, you know, seven years, 11 months, we hadn't, we hadn't done that. And so I think a couple things, we, we showed up to every client, whether they were Nike or whether they were a nonprofit in like rural Ottawa, um, with the same energy and love for that organization. And we focused on just adding value and doing great work. And even in the early days when I started um, like hiring some of my first team members, there was a lot of ambiguity about what we did and, you know, conversations we were having and our number one driver was just show up and add value. And we focused less on how much money we were making, what we were charging, what the actual project was. And we were just driven by this idea of like showing up and adding value. And I think, you know, People know people who know people. And so you show up and you add value in one place. You show up and you add value somewhere else. And to be honest, one of our biggest drivers of business, um, I, won't out, I won't out them, but they're an organization who's, who's never, you know, really paid us for any work. It, it was a female entrepreneur I got connected with who needed some help. And we, and we just stayed connected and, and they're very well connected. And so that then led to... To meeting some of these great clients. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's just it. It's like, no matter who the client is, you need to show up, deliver that remarkable product because that is marketing. A good product markets itself, right? So if you have some tiny client who is in rural, rural Ottawa, you show up for them the same way as you would a high profile client because maybe that client in Ottawa has an amazing network and they're about to refer you to 10 others and you don't you don't know that so you you have to show up with that same energy enthusiasm and just good work ethic as you would any other client because like has happened for you that can be your sole marketing strategy for a while is if you do good work right get them the results they're looking for and people talk about you and then i think even to you know i think we've made some of the most impactful outcomes with the smaller clients who you wouldn't necessarily like read out, you know, in a podcast or that, you know, we don't put their logos like front and center necessarily on our website. Mm -hmm. Um, 
those people, I think, if you're focused on impact, you can actually have a lot more impact with smaller clients than you can, you know, working with, you know, one, one small group of people at Nike, as an example, there's a lot more ability to influence and change the organization. Mm -hmm. And so I, I love those small clients and I particularly love small, predominantly women-led businesses because there's just so much great work that can be done there. And I think they, they care so much about their dream uh, in the world. And so when they meet mm-hmm. consultants who care as much about their, them being successful as they do, it's like a really nice synergy. Mm. I always so joke, amazing. but I don't lose sleep. I never lose sleep over my own business. I like will lose sleep over thinking about like something that happened, you know, or like a, something going on for one of my clients in their business. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's funny because I just woke up this morning uh, and the first thing I thought of was a client that I have and I had to like log on to our project management software and tell her right away. I was like, have you considered doing this? And I was just like jolted awake with this idea. I'm like, okay, Kels, you really need to like do some meditation in the morning before you start going into work mode. But it's true. Like we care. (laughs) That's the consultant you want, right? Like I would want you thinking about our brand and our marketing that's exactly who you want the people that wake up in the morning and are thinking about are thinking about you Mm -hmm. so you mentioned you've been in business approximately eight years right Mm -hmm. and your main marketing strategy and how you found clients has been tapping into your existing network and then getting referrals from others and I think you mentioned now you're starting to think about like, how do we continue to grow uh, and launch this rocket ship? What are some of the other ways that you are getting more visible as a consultancy or just getting the name out there? Are you testing anything? Has anything been working for you? Or have you been pondering any marketing efforts that you want to indulge in? Yeah, I don't know that any of it's working. Uh, we spent, <laughs> we spent, like, I think, you know, we spent last year, we had no social media presence at all. Wow. Um, so we spent our, our one team goal last year was to put enough content on social channels so that if people came to our Instagram, they'd get a sense of who we are, who our team is, there'd be advice there, there'd be value for people there. Yeah. Um, you know, do we have like 400 followers? Maybe. But like, you know, I, I think, I think it's really about, it's interesting. Our social efforts remind our past clients that we exist. And so I'll often hear from them going, Oh, I saw this post. It reminded me of this. And I want to connect you with so-and-so, or we have this new piece of work we want to do. So that's really interesting. Um, I'd love Mm -hmm. your take on that. Cause I think people think social is going to really expand their network. And for us, what we found, it's reminding people who already know us that we're there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's like a very important part of the customer journey. And it sounds like, so when we think of the consumer journey, they become aware of you, they investigate you, they compare you, then they work with you. And then part of the journey after they work with you is staying in touch so that you get the referral, right? So it sounds like social for you is actually serving an interesting bucket, not necessarily in getting new clients through the door, but being part of that referral process, right? Because it's a trigger every time I see your social posts to be like, oh yeah, they helped me so much. And oh my God, I was just out for a glass of wine with my friend who owns the local coffee shop and they're expanding. And she said she needs an HR person. I'll just quick tag them under Amanda's post, right? Mm. 
And that is invaluable. So I think, yeah, it may, social may not serve the initial purpose you thought it did, but I bet it's still a really crucial part of maintaining contact and getting the advocacy and referral of past clients. So I think that's really interesting as a case study. <laughs> yeah, like that, that's how it's working for us. And I think we, you know, we have some incredible clients in, in marketing, you know, marketing agencies and firms, and they're really generous with their advice. And, you know, we, we have digital courses online for managers. And, you know, we were chatting with one of one of the humans that we really admire who runs an agency in Toronto. And He's like, you've got to think of your social and digital journey as like a three to five year journey. And I was like, okay, you know, I think that's been really helpful. It's so we're like, we're, we finished year one of a three to five year journey um, of, of building a community online who didn't already know us. And Mm -hmm. um, so that's a big one. And then I think our focus this year is really things like this, getting out more on podcasts, in writing articles, like sharing our message. I think we have a really unique perspective on HR. And so finding ways and opportunities to be able to do that. So A, thank you um, (laughs) for being part of that for for us this year. And um, other than that, just like keep showing up and doing great work and keep showing up and doing great work for our clients. Mm -hmm. I love what that person said to you about it's a three to five year journey. Like, it, we're playing the long game here, right? So to expect that all of a sudden a new marketing channel is just going to have instant success is completely unreasonable. If you think your business is going to be around for the next 10, 20 years, then give your social three to five years. And that's how long it takes. Some people have that hockey stick growth. They get on TikTok and all of a sudden they're selling thousands of products, but it's like, oh yeah, they're like the 1% that, you know, right place, right time. The rest of us have to continue to show up and frequency and consistency breed trust in clients. So eventually they will need your services. And because you're always top of mind by posting, they will reach out when they're ready, right? We can't Mm -hmm. convince people they need HR like today. Um, So yeah, I think that's cool. (laughs) I think because it's like, I sometimes feel like we're in this weird B2B, but B2C space. Mm -hmm. So mostly who reaches out to us are business owners. So in that way, it feels B2C, but they are asking about their businesses. And, and there's a lot of really great HR content on TikTok, on Insta, but it's really meant for the end user, like the employee who's had like bizarre experiences with their (laughs) managers or in interviews. And that's not really our target, right? Our target is the managers, the business owner who feels incredibly overwhelmed. And so the narrative, I think most, most managers now come to us and this is really their story. Mm. It's, I started a business, you know, you can, you can take province, province apothecary as an example, you know, Julie started making um, really beautiful, uh, clean skincare products, you know, in her kitchen. Um, and she tells that story really widely on their website. And, and her goal wasn't to go manage a team of 50 people and have an operations facility. And, and so a lot of our, our clients are like that. They start with a passion or something that they're really interested in from, you know, cannabis regulation to beauty and skincare to running a marketing agency, PR, and they, they find themselves 
being really successful. Mm-hmm. And then they have to hire a team. And the minute they hire the team, their job shifts from doing what they love to do to now having to produce results through other people. Mm. And that's a whole other job. And, and we, we meet them when they're kind of at that um, point of realizing that that's actually their job now mm-hmm. um, and that that takes an incredible amount of time and patience and their own resources. And we kind of teach them how to, how to accept that, number one. Um, and how to set themselves up and their team up so that they can achieve all of their bigger goals, but now through the incredible group of people that they've hired. I think that's so powerful because, yeah, like I'm sure many of your clients, the reason they got into business was not to be managing a team. They are just really gifted at their craft. But as they start to grow and hire people and, you know, have to produce more, they do need to shift their focus. And that's where I think a business like yours comes in because you can totally like alleviate that pressure of also them trying to be the HR person, the marketing person, the salesperson, the admin person. So it's so nice to be able to work with a team like yours just to completely like take that off of their plate so they can focus on their craft. This episode is sponsored by The Visionary Method. The Visionary Method is a seven-step system that's going to help you create and launch your business successfully. We've had 200 people go through it, and it's going to help you to generate your first 50000 in revenue, even if you're starting at zero. You can learn more at www.kelseyridle.com slash TVM. Yeah, I, I actually feel like we... we... Unfortunately, we can't take it all off. And, and maybe that's like a good point of distinction where we, the minute you have employees, they have expectations of you as their manager. Yeah. And they're often unstated. And if you look, if you want to be really nerdy about it, and I think this is where my like teaching background comes in, you could look at the research of employee engagement and the science of that. But your employees have expectations on you. Yeah. Um, and as a business owner, you know this firsthand, there's so much you're thinking about external to the business. And, and then you now have this group of humans who want your time and attention. And I think that often people think if they hire HR or an HR consulting firm, mm-hmm. that those HR people can meet those needs of the team. And in fact, we can't, unfortunately, mm-hmm. because they want them from you, the manager, whoever they perceive to be their manager. And so a lot of our work is teaching those managers that their role is to focus on the team, but also how to use that time efficiently. Mm -hmm. So a lot of managers, we find they're flailing because they're like, I'm trying to do everything to make the team happy, but like nothing seems to be working. And in our our modern managers intensive, which is our monthly leadership program, we teach them like, Here's, here's where to invest your time and your team to get what you want out of them. Um, and I think it's really helpful for people because they can be really efficient with their time that they spend with their team versus like that flailing, like trying to keep them happy. If that yeah. Oh, so cool. I love that you offer that. What did you call it? A modern way to manage? It's called the Modern Managers Intensive. Modern yeah. Managers Intensive. Very cool. We'll have to link that in the show notes. Thanks. Okay. So I'm curious now this business is more than just you. So can you describe 
what your team looks like today and who supports the big vision of a modern way to work? Like, what does that team look like? Yeah, I, I think I have the best team in the whole world. You would hope like that's what we do. Yeah. We help people figure out how to hire and um, keep people engaged. So, you know, one of our very first employees, it's actually her last week next week after six years. So bittersweet, but wow. um, she, uh, I'll tell the story since she's on her way out, but she was a student of mine and cornered me in the bathroom after class when one day and was like, Hey, can I come work for you? <gasps> cool. Um, and, and so, you know, worked with her through the start of, and, and, you know, a big portion of her career now. Um, initially, like the first few people we met, it was really organic. So Leanna, who, who joined us, she was my student, Carrie, who I work with, she, and I worked together in my very first job um, many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. And she went off and did a whole bunch of really cool gigs, was the sole HR person at some gaming companies, worked for BlackBerry. She had a few kids. And then after she had her twins, she was thinking about getting back into, into the labor market. And we connected and she's like, you know, I'm thinking in a year, like maybe if you have a role. And I think I had her working on a project within a month. Cause I was like, okay, like I know how bright she is. And so if she was willing to come work with me that I wasn't waiting a year, I wasn't going to risk it. And then the other person who, who really we treat like a partner in the business, uh, Stevie, she heard me on a podcast, um, my friend Tiffany's podcast. Um, no way. and she lives in Austin, Texas, and she has an art background, which is how she was following. I think Tiffany at the time heard me on that podcast, came and took the Modern Managers Intensive. And at the end, I think was really upset it was over and and reached out and was like, what if maybe we work together? And so I flew down to Texas for five days and we spent five days, I think, kind of just like eating and doing workout classes together and getting to know one another. <laughs> Sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, and And then she joined the business a few years ago. I feel like maybe these details are so boring, but I feel so impassioned by it because I love this team and all the journeys. Uh, I have two more people, but did you want to cut me off? I do want to cut you off because you said it's maybe not important, but you have to keep in mind a lot of our listeners are still working in full-time jobs that they don't love and they want to work for awesome, cool people like you. And the fact that, and I've gotten consulting gigs this way too, like you listen to a podcast you really resonate with the person and you reach out or you have a teacher at a private college or a school and you're like, oh my God, they're so awesome. Don't be afraid to connect with that person because honestly, you never know where it's going to lead and what's the harm in asking or pitching yourself or letting them know that like your dream job is to serve their business. So I think that's super helpful. So yeah, I'll pass it back to you. Okay, cool. Um, and then our two new- newest hires, um, Serena is actually a really interesting, I met her five, like five years ago. Um, I call, I needed someone to come clean my house and someone had canceled and there was like a little card in the lobby of our apartment. And it basically was like, I clean house and it had a phone number. And so I was desperate. My dad was coming to visit and she answered the phone. And at that time was a newcomer to Canada, spoke next to no English and I was like, please come clean my house today. And she's like, I can't. I have another gig. I was like, I'll pay you anything. So she's like, where do you live? And we lived in the same apartment building. 
And so she came up, she did the most beautiful job in the whole world. She was like the nicest person. And so I got to know her a bit in her story and she really wanted to grow, grow that business. And so I kind of just acted like business development for her for a few months. Like you couldn't talk to me without me being like, are you obsessed with your cleaning lady? Like you need to try Serena. And so over the, over many months, she, she was working in a not so good situation. She like grew that business for herself. And we became friends through that living in the same building. And she would go to clean a lot of people's houses that I know. And she would have all these incredibly smart observations about them as people like very quick, like just got it. And so over the years, as her English got a little bit better, I had the wild idea that she could maybe start doing some of the back end stuff in our business. And it's so we started part time because she had, you know, prior to working with a modern way to work, like never done a job where she had used a computer. So everything was like from ground zero email, like Google, like, you know, like sheets, docs, like like nothing. Um, and so we started part time and over six months, the goal was to get her to a place where she could, you know, contribute enough value to the business. We could completely replace what she was making cleaning houses. And so this January was like that official start date, which is really exciting. Wow. That is such a cool story. It was like a, it was a very long journey. And so, you know, still to this day, like she's self-conscious about her English, but like, who cares? Like, you know, we interview software developers all day. I feel like I think English is probably a bit overrated for a lot of jobs. Yep. Um, And then Sohana, who's also our newest hire, we, we went the more traditional route. We like put up a posting. We, we, we run something called the modern recruitment process or the modern recruitment method. We started that arm of the business because we couldn't find any recruitment companies that worked the way we wanted them to work back to my like fiercely independent comment. Um, and we found her and she is so smart. And, um, I think what's incredibly unique is we envisioned someone who had had a lot more experience. She had had like, you know, a couple years from, from graduation. Um, but she's also an artist and she had linked to her website mm. and her art. And I was like, wow, like I like people who have like dimension to them. And so that led to the phone interview. And then she blew us away in the interview process And as part of our process, your second interview is always, I don't want to say a test, it's not the right word, like an activity, the Mm -hmm. opportunity to showcase your skills. And she beat out a bunch of people who were way more experienced through our process, which really focuses on what what you can do, not, you know, years of experience. Mm. Um, So she's, I think she's wrapping up week four today. So, um, but like love, love her and she's so smart and I'm really excited she's on the team. In building a team, have you kind of blended like intuitive hiring with strategy and skills or is that not terminology you would use? Because it sounds like you have kind of followed these less conventional routes to build this dream team. But yeah, like intuition comes to mind for me, but maybe you call it something different in making these hiring decisions. Okay, so that's like such a a dynamic question because, you know, my HR colleagues, you know, in theory, when you teach recruitment and selection, your entire job is to eradicate what managers might feel as intuition because that can lead to a lot of bias. So totally. 
I, I'll, I'll, that'll be my disclaimer first. So yeah. my HR colleagues, you know, don't disown me. Um, I think, I think there's different stages in businesses. Most founders I meet when they're hiring their first three, four people, they're hiring people that are known entities to them. And I think that's actually really okay and really important. It definitely for many businesses will lead to a bit of a diversity deficit at the start because most of the people you know are like you, whatever Mm. you is. But I think when you're getting your business off the ground, like I was, you know, with like Leanna and Carrie, like they were known entities to me. Carrie, I, I, we'd worked together for so long. We had a nice relationship built around our strengths. So I think early days of your business, sure, hire by intuition, but I think most people are going to known, known entities. Yeah. I think as you evolve, like, you know, Sohana and Serena were a bit unique. Mm-hmm. Sohana specifically because it was the first time that we we grew to a size that we were like, we know we actually need to go beyond our network and the people we know. And that's where um, I think great process leads to great results. Mm-hmm. And we do this with our clients all the time. And I think the biggest thing is most people don't, they don't really know what they want when they start to hire. And especially if you have a lot of um, entrepreneurs with smaller businesses who listen, a lot of those entrepreneurs, they have a lot of needs and we really help them define them into, into jobs. Um, and so with, with Sohana, I, I wouldn't say it was intuition at all. I think it was like great our process, which we, you know, people pay us for and we, we do, it was great process and it led to a really great outcome. And some of the big differentiators, we never post years of experience or education requirements on our job postings. And like, what people don't, yeah, people don't notice Kelsey, like it's the best thing. We'll do these discovery calls and we'll like really make people define the job. We'll show them the job posting and actually just wrote an article that I don't know when it'll come out, but about marketing and recruitment. And your most people forget your job posting is an advertisement. It's it's hmm. like any other ad you would run, but they're they generally don't say a lot, or people just copy other people's. Um, so we 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 don't ask people when we do discovery, like, hey, how many years experience do you think this person will have? Or if it's you know an accounting position and they need a particular designation, obviously we'll put that. But 98% of the jobs, we just don't, we don't put it. Um, and as a result, you're really focused on outcomes and competencies. And so someone like Sohana, like, yeah, we thought we'd get someone with five years experience, but we don't put it because we don't really care if you can do the job with two. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Mm. Love that. Um, switching gears a little bit, obviously over the past eight years, I'm sure you've learned a lot about how to manage your time as an entrepreneur, as a leader. I'm curious, how do you structure a typical work week these days? Because now you have a team, you're also trying to think of the growth of a modern way to work. You also probably have a daily to-do list. Do you have any success tips for setting up your week so that you're focusing on the right thing as you grow this company? Yeah, that's a really nice question. I 
I'm inherently, my first question anytime I'm doing something that I don't like to do is who can I get to do this for me? Mm-hmm. So I think my biggest advice for business owners or entrepreneurs is 90% of what you're doing, you don't need to do. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I can hear all of their voices as we teach them this. There's a resistance, right? Because your team will never do it the same way you would, but that's okay. Um, you know, we teach people often why delegation doesn't, doesn't work 100% of the time and how to set it up so it does. But I think the only way to get control of your time is to understand that you need other people to do things for you and to be able to rely on them for that. Um, I feel like my life ebbs and flows. I have weeks and months, I feel really productive and like I've got it under control. And then I have weeks and months where I'm kind of letting the days, you know, drive me. But I think for the most part, just relying on relying on other people to do work for you and removing the guilt mm-hmm. of that is a big, big deal. Yeah, I think it's especially important to kind of honor that seasonality that like sometimes you are in a more strategic headspace and you're like, yeah, I'm planning all these great projects for the future. And other times you're like, I'm just staying afloat with my daily to-do list. And that's okay too. Like not every day do you perfectly balance each hat that you're wearing. And maybe there is no magic formula. Like you almost just have to um, recognize that business comes in seasons and it's okay to kind of ebb and flow through different structures to your work week. Yeah. And not beating yourself up. Like I go through long periods of time right now where you're up at seven, you're doing your workout, you're getting your steps in, you're doing your meditation, your whatever that morning routine looks like for you. And then, you know, like I shared with you right now, we're down in Austin for the winter and I'm just being a little more flexible with it, you know, mm-hmm. to see, to see what the city has to offer. So. Mm-hmm. When you are in one of those, I don't know, just like periods of business where you're not as clear and maybe you feel a little less motivated or just feel like you're hitting a brick wall with everything you're doing, what do you do as the founder of this business mm-hmm. to like get out of that rut? Because we all go through it and I hear it every day with my clients like, I don't know, just something's feeling off or I'm just not motivated. So I'd love to know from you, how do you pick yourself up out of the dip? Yeah. Um, I think having a team of people I'm accountable to and a big part of my why is wanting to see them be successful. So I might be having a low day, but, you know, when I see, you know, Yesterday I was explaining compensable factors to Sahana, which like her eyes light up, you know, like (laughs) getting to teach things to other people, I think keeps me inspired. Um, And I just, I love all like what maybe people would consider like cheesy, but like motivational things. Like I'll go listen to a Tony Robbins chat. I'll go listen to an Amanda Francis. I'll go listen to, you know, things that are inspiring, go talk to people that are inspiring, chat with my friends who are business owners and let them pump me up, um, you know, move my body. I think, I think it's okay to like be in the dip, but I think you also have to work really hard to, to get out of it because you're not going to attract a lot of good stuff into your life from the dip, you know? Ooh, that's so juicy. It's okay to be in the dip, but yeah, we have to know what tools get us out of it because if you stay in there too long, 
not a good spot to be, especially when you've got people who rely on you and people who look up to you, right? And who want you to be in your peak state or at least in kind of that positive mindset. So yeah. And other, and like other interests, like I'll always have like another interest brewing so that your, you know, your business can become your life. But if you've got like something else that's like going on interesting, you know, it, it helps, I think, bring energy back into your business too. Yeah. Oh my gosh, totally. And to have something else that fuels your excitement to return to work, right? Because if you're just on the computer all day, like you start to just like, I don't know, like it, it starts to feel repetitive. But when I'm out mountain biking, for example, I get business ideas and I hit the computer again and I'm like, oh yeah, this is so cool. And, you know, I type out that blog a little faster or, you know, I, I'm excited to improve my resources versus dreading it. Yeah. And I think realizing like no one's coming to get you out of the dip, but you like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's like the big one. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a bit of a reality check too, right? Like when you start a business, when you're running ship, but like it's you. So you have to build up those tools in your toolbox that you know work to get you back into that inspired state. Yeah. Whew. Oh my gosh. This has been so much fun, Amanda. Um, I think the next logical question is if people want to connect with you or connect with a modern way to work, where can they come find you? Yeah. So um, I think a lot of people go to our website, which is just a modern way to work.com. But like I said, we are on Instagram. Should you want to follow us? Um, it's just at a modern way to work. And then my own personal Instagram is Amanda underscore J Hudson. Cool. I'm going to link all of that in the show notes so that people can come connect with you, uh, give you some love on the Insta and on your website. And thank you so much for sitting down, sharing your story, very relatable. And we loved hearing from you. So thank you so much, Amanda. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Visionary Life. I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis, so it would mean so much to me if you could help me out by rating and reviewing the show in your iTunes app. You can also support the show by taking a quick screenshot of the episode and sharing it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Kelsey Rydell. I'll catch you in the next episode. P.S. Whenever you're ready, there's a couple of ways that I can support you. So first thing, if you're ready to make your first or next $50,000 in business, explore how the Visionary Method Business Coaching Experience can accelerate your growth. There'll be a link in the show notes. Also, if you're feeling lost, confused, or overwhelmed when it comes to starting an online business, reach out and book a free revision call with me. I'll offer you customized recommendations on how to get unstuck so you can live a life filled with joy, happiness, and fulfillment.